turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians, and we've come to chapter 14. You remember that last <clears throat> Wednesday, we were studying chapters 12, 13, 14, and Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the scripture says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a direct command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now notice he did not say be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes when you get saved. No man can call Jesus Lord and mean it without having Jesus in his heart and without having the Holy Spirit in his heart. And technically, when we get saved, what really happens, we talk about accepting Jesus. What we mean by that, we, we accept the pardon He earned for us at Calvary. And we accept Him as our substitute for sin. But we receive Him into our heart. But in a technical understanding of the Scripture, the Bible says that God manifests Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son, the second person of the Trinity, ascended to the Father. And the book of Hebrews says He is at the Father's side making intercession for us today. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of us when we're saved. Now sometimes, after we're saved for a while, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. But let all bitterness <clears throat> and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. And it's interesting to note in that passage, the things that grieve the Holy Spirit are spiritual sins. Most of us are aware that if we commit adultery, or we get drunk, or we curse, that those are wrong. There's something inside the Christian's heart that says that's wrong. But sometimes we can so push the Spirit back in some corner of our lives that we can be mad at somebody, or we can hold a grudge against somebody, or we can be unforgiving or unkind and not even know it's wrong. That's the reason a lot of Christians have no spiritual power. Because they grumble. They murmur. They have in their heart evil thoughts and, and they're just mean. And there's no power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason the Holy Spirit said through Paul, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. Now, when we come to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, we come to deal with a teaching of the scripture concerning tongues. This is one of the gifts. We read in chapter 12, are all apostles, do all speak with tongues, and so on. And the obvious answer was no. There are those 
to, who tell us today, unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved. The scripture doesn't say that. The scripture goes out of the way to say, not all have those gifts. By the same token, if I shout in my private devotionals, you can't tell me I didn't shout. But I don't have a right to teach you. You have to shout. And a person that speaks in tongues, I can't say, well, he didn't speak in tongues. Obviously he did. But I can say you can't teach others to do that. And that's not the scriptural lesson that we're to draw from this. Now, if we look closely at this, and it may take us a little while to get through it, not tonight, on subsequent nights, <clears throat> you'll notice there are only three places in the book of Acts where the gift of tongues is mentioned. One is in chapter 2, where people from all over the world were gathered and at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in firepower, and the disciples began to speak in other tongues, which are languages. And the reason we know they're languages is because there were people from all over the world. And in chapter 2, it mentions the different languages the people had. <clears throat> there were Medes and Parsians and Greeks and Romans and all kinds of people from all around the world. And everyone was amazed because they heard about Jesus in their own tongue. Now some believe that the miracle was in the hearing. Others believe the miracle was in the speaking. Whichever you believe, the point is they heard about Jesus through these tongues. I believe that it must have been the tongue language because it says tongues. <laughs> It doesn't talk much about the hearing or the eardrum. But they did all hear the word in their own language. Now the next time, this was a breakthrough because they had never experienced anything like that before. Now, the next time you read about that is in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, the disciples of John the Baptist had heard about Jesus no, that's chapter 19. In chapter 10, there were people there that had heard about Jesus, but they did not fully understand about Jesus. It was a breakthrough to the Gentiles. Cornelius had just gotten saved, and the Bible says that he, they all spoke with tongues. It was, a break, it was the first time in the New Testament where a Gentile believed in Jesus. Up to that time, everybody were Jews. And at that unusual phenomenon... When the Gentile, the first Gentile to get saved, the breakthrough was in the gift of tongues. Now you don't read about it in... ...13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, till you get to chapter 19. In Acts 19, John the Baptist's disciples were there, and the apostle... Notice there was something missing in their lives. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you got saved? Since you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Ghost. And he began to expound to them about the full atonement of Christ. And they believed. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. This was a breakthrough to another group of people. Now keep in mind, you never read about that in the book of Romans. 
Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Second Thessalonians, First Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First Second Peter, First Second Third John, Jude, and Revelation. Never again. The only other place in the Bible is in First Corinthians. And in chapter 3, does anybody remember what Paul said about the Corinthian church? It was what kind of a church? It was a carnal church. The word carnal means worldly. <clears throat> there were two kinds of carnal Christians. One was a group that had just gotten saved. They were babes in Christ. They had not had the opportunity to grow. <clears throat> the group he was addressing in chapter 3, however, had been Christians for a good while. Paul had been there, won them to the Lord, had gone back. He was in Ephesians. He was in Ephesus for three years. He hears from the house of Chloe and from a letter from the church that somehow there's something awry. There's something missing. There's something going on over there. And he writes and he said, I heard that you're a carnal. I can't write unto you as in a spiritual, but as in a carnal. Now keep in mind, every chapter in 1 Corinthians is addressed to carnal Christians. Even when we come to chapter 15, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, the chapter about the resurrection of Christ, Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. If Christ be not risen, then we're still in our sins, our faith is vain, the apostles have all been liars. But if Christ be raised, then he who died on the old rugged cross was buried. Three days later was raised from the dead. He's alive. And that's the crux of the Christian faith. You can't even be saved if you don't believe in the resurrected Christ. <clears throat> in Romans, he said, if you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the key. You can't just believe in a, some kind of historical Jesus and say, I'm a Christian. You have to believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead and that he's alive today. Now, the Corinthian Christians were doubting that. Some of them didn't even believe in a resurrection. They called themselves Christians. Paul said, you're carnal. You're worldly. You don't understand. All through that book, he dealt with people who were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, taking each other to court. They were divided over leadership. They were divided over their liberty in Christ. Paul said, you have liberty, but remember your liberty stops where somebody else's begins. <clears throat> Let not this liberty become a stumbling block to somebody else. Then he comes to chapter 12, and uh, 12, chapter 14. <clears throat> and he begins to list all the things concerning tongues. Now we won't get through this tonight, we just have a few minutes left, but listen. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, albeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now do you notice what he's saying here? He's not lambasting, he's not fussing, he's not bawling anybody out. He just says, you're not doing what the scripture told you to do. The tongues in the book of Acts were speaking to men about Jesus. These people in Corinth were having ecstatic utterances and were saying this is a prayer language, we're talking to God. Now Paul is saying God understands Greek. He understands Hebrew. 
He understands Scandinavian. He understands English. He understands French and German and all the other languages. You don't really have to talk to God in some special language. And what you're doing here is not the same as they did in Acts. You're not speaking to men. You're speaking to God. Now, he doesn't bawl them out about it. And the reason I'm dealing with it tonight is to just simply say to God's people, don't be confused when people talk to you about tongues. Nothing wrong with tongues. They tell you to speak in tongues. Well, they do. That's fine. I'm not, you can't deny that. But you can say what you say about tongues, that everybody has to speak in tongues, that that is scriptural because it is unscriptural. You do not have to speak in tongues to be saved. Now he goes on. And <clears throat> let me just mention uh, quickly, the only other incidence of the mention of tongues in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. This was different from Pentecost where the disciples spoke in understanding language for the purpose of witnessing. No interpreter was needed. But concerning the matter of unknown tongues, the Corinthian style, this phenomena is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. And we've already mentioned the fact that it is not mentioned any other place in the New Testament except Acts 2, 10, 19, 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 14. That's the only place. And in chapter uh, 12, he comes to the end of it. He says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And he gives us chapter 13. He says, love is the more excellent way. Now, that's all we have time for at this lesson. But I want to remind you, what we really need is not to quibble over what you call it. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Some call it baptism of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> D.L. Moody used to call it that. R.A. Torrey called it that. John R. Rice called it that. Nothing wrong with calling it that. However, in the technical sense, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs when you get saved. There's one baptism. There are many fillings. And if there's a hunger in your heart tonight for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, for the love of the Holy Spirit, for the fullness of God in your life, that hunger was put there by the Holy Spirit. Just reach out and say, fill me, Lord. Fill me. Have thine own way. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this truth from the Word of God. We pray you will give us a hunger in our hearts for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. May we not be satisfied with the humdrum and the ordinary and the average and the mundane, but may there come into every heart in this place tonight and those within the sound of our voice a desire for the fullness of God, that the Spirit of Jesus might so control us that when we witness, when we speak, when we love, the Holy Spirit will reach out to people through us. Use us, Lord. Use our hands, our tongue, our feet, our eyes. Use us. Have thine own way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. 155. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Brian, will you come and lead us in this? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Now, don't sing it draggy. <clears throat> don't sing it soft. Sing it big. Now, you can, you can pray in, in your secret chamber and say, Have thine own way, Lord. Or you can say, Have thine own way, Lord. 
That's what I mean. Sing it big from your heart. And everyone, if the Spirit of God has spoken to you about some matter, maybe you need to come and kneel at the altar and pray. If there's anyone here who is not saved, I encourage you to come to Jesus tonight. While we sing, will you do what God tells you to do?